Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Friday, September 18th, 2020, episode number 152. Dude, September's almost over already. What already happened? halfway through September. More than halfway. It's crazy. And and halfway through the 2020 AFT season. We that's are halfway. Crazy that, that's nuts, yeah. Um, insane, man. Crazy weekend out there in uh, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you want to get into the to the results there. I don't know. It seemed like a pretty basic half-mile event. I, I don't know. The, the track looked like it was all right Friday, got better Saturday. Um, I don't know. Your, your two cents, though. I, I think so. And, you know, what I was told is the calcium chloride they used on Friday had been out in the elements too long yeah. and didn't do its job i know that could be just an excuse i don't know i don't know for sure i wasn't there i didn't lay the calcium chloride down i just know whenever i got there on saturday they had a shipment a big humongous pallet of calcium chloride they're dumping it into the spreader and uh, you know it had plastic seal around it and then they opened it up and they went out there and covered the track also it rained overnight so there's more moisture in the racetrack and i also heard they used a harrow and they turned up the dirt so that moisture could, you know, that the, the calcium chloride could soak into the dirt. So a few different changes. Yeah, the track was a lot better. Uh, I think we're a half a second faster at the end of the night than we were the night before. So it's not a big, big difference. But the riders like the track more the second night, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I. That's definitely what I heard of, um, after talking to a few of them myself. It, it, I mean, I, I always love watching the half miles, the wider tracks. You know, it gets a little racier, but it didn't seem like they were that tight um, in in the racing. It seemed that over the course of the race, they seemed to seem to spread out during the main events. And uh, I hope I don't know, man. I hope to just get a little bit more racier as we get into these uh, half miles for the rest of the season. Well, especially the Super Twins, fourteen minutes plus two laps, and yeah. they just kind of spread out and there wasn't much racing going on uh actually our next guest did more passing i think than anybody out there we'll talk talk about our next our, our guest here in just a second but you know my hat's off to briar he has that place figured out he was on fire from the get-go and nobody could touch him at all nobody was even close dude like and, and i even think rispoli and the, and the production twins is kind of pulling away and, and, and getting a little bit out there for the last few races and it's it's they, they both seem like they're on rails and and briar Dude, I, I think you know some people were counting him out when Mies came out and went one two at the beginning of the season. But I mean, he took, regained the points lead, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if everybody in the points lead right now holds on to it for the rest of the year in all three classes. Well, it, it could happen. You know, the singles Henry Wiles just struggled a little bit there, and yeah. I don't know why. He had to use a provisional start card, didn't make anything of it. So we have a new points leader, uh, Dallas Daniels. Mikey Rush wins the first night. Estenson Yamaha's one and two. And then, like I said, my, uh, Dallas Daniels wins the second night and stretches out the points lead. Rispoli, I think his points lead is huge right now. He's going to have to have some bad luck. Or Corey or Varnes or somebody else is going to have to step up and start beating him. And, you know, a bunch of half miles. Uh, and, you know, the Atlanta short track's coming up. Uh, I don't know. Like you said, these points leaders might lead it the rest of the way out. And, you know, I like it when there's at least a championship hunt a championship battle right now the closest one i think is in the super twins uh with briar and jared and yeah. jared uh you know finished off the box the first night you know the first time he was off the podium so he'll have to make better out of his worst days to get up there on the podium if briar is going to continue to finish in front of him yeah we talked about it a little bit on the other podcast and i i would even go as far as to say that jared looks a little flustered man like i don't know he he was like, I wouldn't say he was struggling to get on top of the box, but I mean, he wasn't running like you normally see Jared run. So, 
Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that in that battle between him and Briar. Um, and you know that singles class it could, could potentially be be Daniels the rest of the year. But I mean, with the talent there, I mean it could, it could be four or five different other points leaders before the end of the year too. Who knows? Absolutely. So that was Williams Grove. It's it's in the rearview mirror. We're off this weekend. Um, also, last weekend, I want to point out that I went Thursday night to Port Royal for the first time. A, a, nice. Another famous sprint car track. I went with Sammy, and we got the whole race experience. I mean, we got a pit pass. When we're, when we're getting our pit pass, Kyle Larson was getting his pit pass, so Sammy is freaking out, got his picture taken. Wow. We went, we went through the pit area, checked it all out. Uh, Michael Enderbitson dropped off his mechanic. Chris was there, hung out with us. We went through Vendoro. I think I bought three or four t-shirts, you know, because that's that's what I do. You're and a big Sammy t-shirt guy, well. aren't you? I'm a t-shirt guy. I'm a hat guy. I'm a shoe guy. But, you know, when you go to the races, you got to get a t-shirt. Yeah. Anyways, so I did that. And then we went down and, and Sammy says, all right, we're going down where they pitch it sideways into turn number one. I was like, dude, I don't want to get pelted with dirt. He said, the dirt goes just past where we're going to sit. And it was incredible. You know, the, the sprint cars going by and then they throw it sideways at 100 and 10 miles an hour or whatever it was they had long straightaways and tight corners at that track so we did that for practice and then we went uh and we had to find some more food for sam you know he had maintained his figure and then we went down into the pit area uh and went on to the racetrack and where they're coming into turn three we're on the inside so we watched all the heat races from there then we watched uh, i think the b main and the c main from the uh the inside of turn number four and then uh Man, then we went up into the grandstands and watched the main event. So it was all in all a great, uh, great night. Interbitsing uh, came back with his girlfriend and got to see the last half of the show. But man, I had fun. And you know, when I go to these races, sometimes it's just go to our racetrack, go to the hotel, get some food, rest, and then go back to the racetrack and stuff like that. But I'm trying to make it more of a point to try to have a little bit more fun on these race weekends. And uh, and Sammy definitely made it fun this last weekend. You made it fun the weekend before as I went out to Redbud. So just trying to get some more experience out there. I mean, this this 2020 year has been crazy. And uh, you know what? It's it's opened my eyes up to to do things when you can that are that are close by and try to have some more fun in life. Love it, dude. I've always said that, man. You got to take in a little bit of the town that you're in, go see the stuff, and you're doing it, man. You're, you're signed two races in the past two weeks, and you're getting your flat track fixed, too. I love it. Absolutely. So uh, we got a, a great guest lined up. We kind of hinted on it just a few moments ago. But we did. this rider, two top five finishes. Yes, it was fifth place, but fifth at a Grand National, and he backed it up the second night. That, that to me, is more impressive than just the first night of fifth place. But then you back it up the second night, that means for sure you're the real deal. Well, and it's not just two top five finishes. It's uh, two top five finishes when you've been running you know, 13th or, or, or further back in the pack. So, um, you know, to be running that well after, you know, struggling a little bit in the start of the season, uh, it's gotta be a huge boost of confidence. Obviously we're talking about Dan Bromley this past weekend in Pennsylvania. We've been trying to get him on for a minute and, uh, I think we've, uh, finally secured him for an interview this week. What do you think? We want to give him a call. Yep. Dial him up. Let's do it. Dan the man. Yes, sir. Hey, man, Scotty Dubler. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I've been I've been trying to have you on my podcast for a long, long time, and I finally tracked you down. I had to go through your girlfriend, who says she's your manager, to lock in a time. So, do you got some time for me? Yeah, I got I got a few minutes. I just got home from work. 
All right. Well, sounds good. We'll talk about work in a little bit. We're going to talk about your last weekend, uh, uh, you know, two fifth place finishes in a little bit too, but let's go way back to the beginning. Uh, where were you born, Dan? Uh, I was born in Trevo's PA. Old town, right. Just uh, northeast of Philly. And is that where you grew up too? Uh, no, I grew up uh, in Warrington, just a little bit northeast of there, but um, just kind of a small little town that didn't really know anything about motorcycles. Well, then how did you get involved in motorcycles? Pretty much got involved with my family. Uh, my dad has two other brothers that race motorcycles. My grandfather raced motorcycles. Uh, he opened up a motorcycle dealership in the late 50s, 1950s. So it's pretty much been in my entire family since then. My, uh, my brother raced, my mom raced, my grandmother used to oh, ride wow. back in the day. Cool. Yeah, pretty much everybody in my whole family races now. I even got my girlfriend racing. Right on. So does the whole family race flat track? I know, I, I think I've heard you and your brother talk about hair scrambles and some other stuff like that. Did did your grandfather race flat track? Uh, yeah, he raced flat track back in the day. And uh, my uh, rest of my family pretty much did flat track, but some of us did like a little hair scramble here and there. I know my dad did both. My uncles both did both. My, my mom did both. And uh, I think she won a championship in the local district in both the hair scramble and the flat track, which is pretty cool. That's awesome, man. I had no idea. I knew I saw your parents at the, at the race last week, and I said hi to them on the microphone because I usually don't get to, to leave my little spot. So it was good to see them at the racetrack for sure. Uh, how old were you when you first raced a motorcycle? Um, I believe I, was, I wasn't I was four yet, so I was still three. And uh, they put me on a motocross track on a little four-wheeler and just kind of had me. I went out there, and I, I honestly didn't even ride the track. I just kind of rode around the track and it was fun, but uh, definitely started racing when I was four on a little PW50, which was uh, pretty cool. Okay, so when was your first flat track race, or when is the first one you remember? Um, honestly, I don't know. I believe I was I was probably four years old when I first raced. There was a bunch of local races around us that we used to go to. Um, one track that I always wish I could have raced was uh, Pine Grove, PA. It's a track mm-hmm. that my dad and my uncles all grew up racing, and uh, it's one place I wish I could have rode a flat track. I, I grew up, that's actually the first place I raced was Pine Grove on the motocross track, but I always wanted to race the flat track there. I gotcha. And uh, do you guys still own the motorcycle shop? I mean, I remember, I, I think it was Bromley Suzuki, and, and I think I've heard a few other you know dealership names too. Do you guys still involved in, in the motorcycle dealership? Um, my family, I believe, is still always going to be involved in motorcycling. Uh, I know in the beginning of September, um, my actual family dealership was sold. My uh, two uncles thought that it was it was about time with the family to you know move on and try some new things. My uh, my father had uh, has a dealership upstate in uh, northern Pennsylvania, and uh, another thing was that the dealership made it to 60 years, which is pretty much a milestone for a lot of a lot of businesses. So mm-hmm. we figured. I guess it was time to uh, move on and uh, try something new. And uh, I guess everybody's excited to uh, try stuff new. And then my uncle, Steve, he's going to be retiring soon. So he can come to a lot more races and enjoy it a lot more. That's awesome. I, I know I, I remember announcing him a lot at, you know, your uncle Steve at the, uh, you know, the amateur races, the Steve Nace races leading up to Daytona. He always goes down there and then I see him, you know, when I do some uh, all-star races and, and some Steve Nace races, so he still he still rides a lot, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he, he always is riding. He's either doing flat track or enduros, which is pretty cool. And uh, 
the main thing I know he does is vintage, but lately I've been I've been trying to get him on a modern bike to uh, make it a little bit easier on him and less work on the bike. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Some sometimes those vintage bikes can be more of a headache. Um, so what was it about motorcycle racing that appealed to you, other than the fact that your you know your grandparents did it, your 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 mom and dad did it? What what was it about it? you know, about racing that appealed to you? I, I honestly don't know. I guess I started doing it at such a young age that it just kind of became something that I was used to doing. And uh, the more I did it, the more I wanted to do it. But I know my girlfriend gets, I feel like she gets mad at me sometimes because I come home from work at five o'clock and then I go straight to the garage and start tinkering on dirt bikes for the weekend or for next Wednesday when we go riding. And uh, it's just something I always want to do. And it's something I, I just truly am passionate about. So. I she just said she doesn't get mad, but, uh, but no, I know sometimes when I get home, I just go straight out there. So I feel like I should be inside, you know, spending on quality time, but to me, quality times with my dirt bike sometimes. There you go. Yeah. They don't talk back that much. So, um, talk about yeah. your amateur career. I don't have any notes or anything about your amateur career. How long did you race amateur? I, I mean, I know you turned pro in 2012, but did you have a long successful amateur career as well? Yeah, I uh, I started my first time at Amateur Nationals was in 2002, and I believe I won two national championships. And then from there, I just kind of spiraled. And uh, I believe I had over 30 Amateur National Championships by wow. the time I went pro in 2012. And uh, 2010, I won, I believe it was seven that year, different. I won a hair scramble, motocross, and vintage uh, flat track, and a bunch of other ones. And I was up for the athlete of the year then, and then in 2011 is when I won the Amateur Horizon Award, and then I actually won the athlete of the year, which was pretty cool for me and uh, my family, I know. Growing up, it just always was racing, and since 2002, so it was about 10 years span, I went to almost every single amateur nationals. What was your favorite racing memory as an amateur rider? Probably when I was racing 80s, and uh there was about a good three-year span that I got second place to Jake Lewis in almost every race. So for that, it, it kind of made me hungry to win a little bit more. And uh, I probably went about three or four years where I, I got second place in almost every race to him. And that kind of made me want it more. And then finally, he he went out and did some road racing, so he gave me a chance to win a little. So that was always <laughs> good. But, uh, but yeah, pretty much racing with them, racing with Hayden Gillum and uh, Ethan when I was really young. Pretty much mm -hmm. those guys pretty much led the way, and uh, a lot of us younger riders were always chasing them. Dan, you, you turned pro in 2012. Uh, how hard was that transition for you to go from amateur into the pro ranks? It was definitely a huge, a huge thing where uh, basically it was a lot of mental and physical because being a little kid, you, you look at pro riders and be like, man, I want to be them someday. And then when you make it there, it's like, oh, God, I'm here. What do I got to do? And uh, everybody was more mature, more into the motorcycles, more fit. And uh, for me, I kind of wasn't wasn't at that level. And then for some reason, somehow I uh, got my stuff together and uh, I won a national my first year, which I don't think I expected, my family expected, nobody expected. So for me, I think that kind of opened my eyes up to I, I belong there and that I could do it. So. I think I kind of had that kind of eye-opening this, this past weekend where I kind of rode around in 13th up until this weekend, and I was like, man, I can do this. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So when you turned pro, were you riding for your parents? I, I mean, 
I remember seeing you on KTM's most of your your younger career until you get up onto the Twins. So who were you riding for when you went pro? Um, pretty much my whole entire pro career, I rode for my parents and our, our family business, probably motorcycles. We had a lot of sponsors that came on the side that helped out here and there. And uh, mainly it was under my parents and them. And uh, I know back in 2018, everybody loved my title sponsor being Big Mama and Daddy Deep Pockets. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I figured I had to I had to put them on the top of the list because I know a lot of kids growing up, their parents sacrificed so much for them and uh, they don't get their recognition. So I figured what better way than to put them at the top of the list. So that was 2012. You won the Springfield Mile. What a race to win your first pro race at. Then 2013, you made four main events, two podiums. And again, that, those two years were the GNC Pro Singles Class. What was your biggest takeaway yeah. from those first couple years? Um, the first couple of years was just basically more experience. I know the more the more I was racing with the lead pack and racing with those guys, the more I learned. And uh, I think the biggest thing was just being up front and, and learning that you have to be up front to stay up front and you can't be getting bad starts and trying to work your way to the front. Okay. 2014, you made every main event in, in what was the GNC2 singles class and you got a podium at yeah. Castle Rock. Would you consider that a successful year? Um, I think it's always successful if you make every race. Um, for me, pretty much, yeah, I'd say it was successful. Um, first time at Castle Rock, which was pretty cool to get a podium there. It was a track that my dad always talked about when I was growing up. It was a lot of times Castle Rock and Peoria were the two tracks that we talked about. So honestly, just getting a podium is always successful to me. So I would definitely say that was a successful year. Okay. 2015, you finished second in the GNC2 class. You had five podium mm-hmm. finishes and a win at the season finale in Las Vegas. Uh, I looked at your sponsor list, and you actually uh, rode for Bill Warner and also the Bromley Brothers KTM. So uh, another win under your belt, Las Vegas. It, it seems like it took you a little bit of time to get that second win. Yeah, it took me a little while to get back up there. But, um, yeah, in 2015, that was a year of me and Davis battled a lot. I know he had a lot of um, – basically engine failures in a few races, but he kind of yeah, gave it to us at most of the other ones. But yeah, I, that year I rode for my parents on the singles and then I rode for Bill Warner on the twins. It was kind of a weird year where I had both displacements to be able to be competitive. So it kind of made a little bit harder on a lot of riders to be able to economically do it. But then again, it gave us all the experience on twins that I believe a lot of us riders needed. And uh, but yeah, it, it did take me a little bit, to get that second win but i think once i got it i uh i wanted it more absolutely tell me this what's it like riding for the legend himself bill warner it was definitely um an experience i know he has a lot of knowledge and he has a lot of feel for the motorcycle so one big thing was he knew what the motorcycle could do and sometimes i would come in and say it was doing something where he knew it was doing something else so i think the biggest thing with him is that he kind of he's been around it for so long that he knows what he wants to do with the bikes and sometimes it's not exactly what we want to do but it's, it's it's what the bikes can do i know he's had a lot of success with a lot of riders and uh he he is a legend himself because that's what he built and uh it was definitely a very good experience to be able to race with him and to be able to learn how to work on a motorcycle how to tune a motorcycle how to use a dyno. I've never been on a dyno up until I, I've been with him. So it was definitely an experience. Cool. Cool. 2016, you raced in the premier class 
and you uh, had a best finish of fourth at the Oklahoma City Mile. Uh, I, is that you're still riding for Bill Warner? Is that is that correct? Yes. Yes, I okay. rode up for Bill Warner up until I believe Red Mile of 2017. But yeah, the Oklahoma City Mile was definitely a, uh, a fiasco. I uh, I know that was my best finish, but I don't know if I would put that as my best finish because if if you remember, that was the race where there's about four laps to go in the main event from a crash, and then we did a four lap dash, and about half the entire field crashed on the start, and they didn't <laughs> red flag it. So. It definitely, it, it's on the books as my best finish, but I don't think that was my best writing. Okay. I like that. I like that answer. 2017, you finished 10th in the AFT singles class, three podiums, and you got another win at the Springfield Short Track. Uh, tell me a little yep. bit about set 2017. Um, 2017 was definitely a, a different year for me. I know racing with Bill and all, I was, I felt like I was going to the track and I really wasn't racing i was just kind of going through the motions of going there and being there and i kind of took a step back where I, I took a couple months off of racing and just wanted to enjoy life and just try to figure out how to enjoy riding motorcycles again and uh i actually met a girl who i call my girlfriend now that kind of i think it was a good thing and uh i just kind of took a step back and then i kind of wanted to get back into it about halfway through the year and I had talked to AFT and they told me that I, I had the opportunity if I wanted to, to try writing a single. So I figured why not give it a try and just go out there and have fun and have no expectations. So we just set up two stock KTMs and we're just like, let's, let's have some fun. And I ended up winning the Springfield short track, like you said, which I believe was my third time in a row winning it. Um, I won in 2012 as a national and then I won it as the all-star one of those other years. So it was pretty okay. cool to win that again. And then, He's on the podium at a few races, and then I believe I won the Texas Dasher Cash, which which is really cool that they had that and gave back to the singles riders. Where I know a lot of the races are primarily for the twins, but to have some races like that where they give back to the singles is always cool. Right on. Uh, let's talk about 2018. I think this probably has to be your best year so far as a professional. The AFT Singles Champion. You made every main event, which is impressive. Like you said a few moments ago, it's hard to do that alone. But then you had four <laughs> wins and 13 podiums out of the 18 races, man. You were on fire. Yeah, I honestly don't know what was different between any other year than that year. It just kind of, everything just kind of clicked. We had we had a good vibe going in the pits. We had bikes that were working very well. I know I had, I had one engine malfunction, I believe, at Texas. My spark plug broke, and I got 18th. But uh, every race other than that, I was pretty much in the top five or on the podium. And it just seemed like everything was just not easy, but everything just kind of happened as it was supposed to happen. And uh, I have to give a big shout-out to my good friend, Nick Henderson, who, uh, who actually moved to his house the year prior, and he kind of worked with me at every race and on the phone and just set the bikes up to make them to where they almost rode themselves, and I was just out there on them. And uh, big thanks to him for uh, pretty much coming on board. I know I felt bad at the banquet. I didn't know that they were you guys were going to make me give away the award for the tuner of the year, but... Uh, I wish I could have redone that and had him come on the stage as well because he was a big, big influence on me and on the motorcycles that year. Right on. So 2019, you got to run the whole season with that big number one plate. You end up third in the AFT singles point standings, eight podiums, but you were held winless. Does that mean the, the yeah. weight of that number one uh, slowed you down? 
No, I don't think the weight of the number one slowed me down. I, I think a lot more talent came into the field. I know Dalton came in, Mikey came in, and a lot of other riders came in, which uh, which definitely made it more competitive. And, and even I think it was better for the sport having more winners on the track. And uh, I think the biggest thing for me, I, I was not thrilled about not being able to win the championship again, but I was happy that I was the only rider to make every main event again that year. And uh, the worst finish I had was a 10th place. So for me, I felt consistent. And I felt like I was there at every race. It just didn't happen that I was at the top at every race. I got you. So let's talk about the off season after last year. Um, how did, how did you make the decision to go back to the premier class? Now it's called the AFT super twins class. How did you make that decision? Um, it was kind of, for me, I felt like in the singles class, it was more, I was there for so long that I needed to get out of the class. I know a lot of people stay in there for what seems like forever. And I feel like it's more of a stepping stone class. And when I went back to it, I didn't really have the intention of staying for another year, but, uh, ended up being that it happened and I, I stayed for another two years and I, I got to ride with the number one play, which was awesome. But for me, I felt like in my career, I, I needed to be up in the premier class. And um, at the final race of last year, Jerry Stenfield of Rear Systems came up to me and he said that he may have some opportunities for me in the following year on twin. And uh, I'm grateful that he came up to me that day and told me that because it kind of gave me the hope that I had, the opportunity to race in the super twins class. And uh, I kind of followed up with him the next few weeks, just kind of badgering him about coming down, seeing him, seeing the bikes, seeing what I could do. And uh, eventually he kind of gave into me. And uh, so right now I, I'm a part of the team and a part of the roof systems racing team, which is pretty awesome to be a part of. It's one of the largest teams, I believe in the AFT paddock mm-hmm. with between the super twins, the production twins, and the singles. So it's pretty cool to be a part of it. And all the things that Jerry does for us riders is amazing. So did you get to pick your own mechanics or who helps you out? I, I know I saw Nick Henderson, who you just talked about a few moments ago. He was in the pits with, yeah. with you this weekend. Is he with you every weekend? And did you get to pick who helps you out? Yes. Yes. Jerry, um, he had a few mechanics in mind, but he ultimately gave me the option to pick who I wanted. And uh, I'm grateful that he did that because I got to choose who I truly feel comfortable with. I know there's a lot of mechanics out there that are amazing at what they do, but a lot of riders don't gel well with certain people. And for me, I felt like I can talk to Nick and he understands what I'm saying on a motorcycle. And that he being a riding himself, he, he understands what the motorcycle is doing. And whenever I come in and say it's doing something weird, he can either say, okay, I can try and fix that, or you can tell me, oh, you're just not riding it, right? So that's always good, because sometimes I come in and I'll be saying, the front end's watching, he's like, no, you just don't ride the bike right. And then I go back out there and I ride the bike right, it works. So it's always good to be able to have that pretty much commitment between us two where I trust him in every way, where if he says I need to do something, I do it, and I tell him the bike is doing something, he can try and work for it. So in between races, do the bikes go back to your house or do they have to go somewhere else? Or does, you know, does Nick work on them during the week? Um, pretty much Nick works on during the week. Uh, Jerry, um, he was gracious enough to give me one of his rigs to drive and to take home where after every race, I drive the bikes to the track and then Nick flies in and works on them. And then Nick flies home and then I get to drive them home. And then when I get home, pretty much Nick comes to my house, picks up the bikes, takes them to his house, cleans them, preps them, gets them ready, and then I go and pick them up on a Thursday night 
and then start heading to the track the next week. So it, uh, so far it's been working pretty good where we got a good system going down where we can each be able to do where I go to work during the week. He can be able to work on the bikes during the weekend, uh, have everything pretty much in place so that when it's time to go racing, it's time to go racing. That's awesome. Let's talk about 2020 for just a second. You're currently 10th in the point settings. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you've been running around 10th, 11th, 12th, and I looked at your results. You have a 13th, a 15th, 12th, 12th, 11th, 10th, and then this last weekend, two top fives. Two top fives. So what turned around this last weekend for you and let you know that you can you can run up front? Honestly, I, I everybody's been asking me that question this week, and I don't know how to answer that where I – I don't know. I feel like every weekend we've been building on the bikes and getting more comfortable and we've both been getting a lot more knowledge about the bikes because we, up to the, till the uh, season opener, we didn't have much testing on them. But uh, like you said, every race I've been slowly getting better finishes being Springfield was my best finish of the 10th. And then this past weekend I got two fifths where me personally on the, motor- on the motorcycle, I don't feel any different. I don't feel like the bike's any better. I don't feel like I'm any better. I just feel like we're just slowly getting more comfortable on the bikes and uh, things are starting to fall into place where they should. And uh, it's actually making me a little excited for the rest of the season and hopefully see if I can get back up there in the front. I know William Trove, I wish I had a better starting spot for the main event being on the third robo tanks kind of, kind of hurt me a little, but uh, I felt like I was able to put the bike where I wanted it and be able to work towards the front. I think you passed more people than anybody else. I mean, and it looked like you were kind of doing it effortlessly. I mean, it looked like you're just slowly picking them off one at a time. And what we missed, after you took the checkered flag on the first night, on Friday night, you caught up to a lapper, and I think you caught up to Jared Meese, and you're still on the throttle as you passed Sammy Halbert. And you actually laid it down after the checkered flag and tore up your motorcycle pretty bad. So did that make for a long night? Did you guys take it all the way home? And what all did you tear up? Oh, yeah, that took for a really long night. Um, pretty much, I heard Sammy on my butt after I passed him, and I, every single lap since I passed him, I was waiting for him to come in and, and clean me out. And uh, I know he's the slammer, but he was super nice, didn't touch me, didn't come near me, and uh, we had clean racing. But the whole time I was riding, I was just waiting for him to come come up next to me. And I felt like going to the line that I – I got him a full tuck position. I was like, I'm going to make this work. I'm a big guy, but I'm going to try and cross this line in front of him. And uh, by the time I crossed the line, I was coming into one, and I was like, oh, shoot. The turn's coming up real quick, and there's riders there. And I kind of got wide, kind of got into loose stuff, and just crashed and tore the bike up pretty bad. I know we broke the foot pegs, the brakes, the swing arm nut, everything pretty much on the right side. We kind of broke. And uh, I came in, and I was a little heated, and uh, – I think I was more so mad that I crashed the bike than me being happy that I got a top five, but uh, it definitely <laughs> came for a long night. I know I wouldn't have been able to race Saturday if it wasn't for the entire Stenson crew for uh, giving us a welder to use and for one of our team member, Justin Bender, Bender's girlfriend, Kate, who is uh, an amazing welder. She, uh, she kind of wasn't doing it, but we kind of talked her into doing it. And I'm super <laughs> gracious that she was able to weld back pretty much my entire foot peg breaks and swing them back together. So I was able to race the next day and, uh, pretty much all day Saturday, we kept looking at the bike, making sure nothing was cracking, nothing was weird. And, uh, everything stayed together, thankfully. And, uh, pretty much still together. Now we, uh, we're thinking about maybe getting the frame redone. And, uh, but right now everything's good and it definitely made for a long night and it definitely 
wasn't easy. I, I, most people figure out if you get top five, you can just go to bed at 10 o'clock and be ready for the next day. But they were up until after 3 a.m. working on that motorcycle. We ended up driving home where they, Nick and um, our good friend Dave Bull stayed up all night working on the bike at the track. So big thanks to them for working on it all night and, and allowing me and Connor to be able to drive home and sleep. Yeah, got, got a little bit of rest while they were working out. That's good to have people in your corner that you can depend on. So we're halfway through the season. Uh, what races are you really looking forward to uh, the rest of the season? I'm honestly not sure which one I want to look at the most or I'm more excited for the most. I know I've heard a lot of good things about the Devil's Bowl where I'm hoping it could be more of a cushion-type track than a bank clay half mile, which I'm honestly not too stoked about. But uh, I know a lot of people like them. But for me, I wouldn't have picked Williams Grove to be a good track for me because I'm not a big half-mile bank track guy. But uh, I think, honestly, out of all of them, the last race at Daytona, whether it being a TT or a short track, I know it's probably going to be something that I'm probably hopefully excel at and uh, something I look forward to trying to do. Absolutely. So when we first got on the call, you said you just got home from work. So that means you have a real job, too. What do you do for a living? Yeah. Um, I'm a custom home builder. So pretty much any kind of house, anything with a house, I pretty much do. So my title is a custom home builder, but I'm pretty much a carpenter in all forms of trade. Wow. Did you go to school for that? I did not. I, uh, I was trained by... Uh, my girlfriend's father, John Henderson, he, uh, when I first moved down towards Maryland, he, he told me he'd give me a job and I was like, what's that? And he's like, you could be my helper. And, uh, since I became his helper, I, I learned a lot and I got a lot of tools for the job. And, and I feel like I'm now a pretty good carpenter and, and I can pretty much do anything in a house, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. So your dad is deeply involved in the American Motorcyclists Association. How has that affected your life? I mean, I know when my dad was a referee at a race I might go to, it seemed like if anybody jumped the start, he'd always put me on the back. So I know it's it, you know people seem to think that you'll get favoritism with him being uh, with the AMA, but has it affected you at all as a racer? So more professional in the pits, I know that was one thing, like you said, with the referee, they put you on the back row where every time I go to the international, since he became a part of the AMA was everybody watched my every move. If I did something wrong, I had to get punished for it where I'd be watching other kids doing everything and anything wrong and they get away with it. So for me, the biggest thing was I had to do everything right all the time. I had to make sure my bikes were clean. I had to make sure that I didn't do anything on the track or off the track that was against the rule books. And it just kind of, like you said, everybody's eyes are on you, and you kind of just got to watch everything you do. You don't get to relax that much. And it, it kind of adds a lot of pressure to me, too, because it almost makes me feel like I have to do well at every race to pretty much live up to my name and to what my dad is in the AMA. How, how cool was it for him to hand you that number one plate when you won the championship in 2018? It was definitely cool, and I think it made it a lot more special that he was the one to be up there on the stage because he pretty much gave everything in his life to give me that number one place. So it's definitely uh, really cool to have him up there and uh, be able to share that moment with him. That's really cool. So we have a, a Patreon page. We're getting ready to, to get going here, and, and we have a, a question from one of our fans, and she okay. noticed 
she noticed actually that sometimes you wear glasses, sometimes you don't. But she noticed that when you're riding, you, you wear your glasses under your helmet. So her question is, why don't you wear contacts when you're racing? Um, I actually, I do wear contacts when I wear motocross goggles, but anytime I wear a shield, I, uh, I have to wear my glasses because I had it a few times where when I try wearing my contacts, they fall out from the, uh, from the wind getting sucked up under the shield. So for me, I'd rather feel safer and more confident knowing that I'll have vision the entire time with my glasses than, uh, contacts. Okay. I love it. That's a great question and a great answer. So we're already nearing the end of our episode already. It's time for Graham's question. And, and Graham's a huge fan of Dan Bromley. And so she has a two-part question, which she usually doesn't, but she says she's surprised to see how effortlessly you run up front on TTs. She wants to know, do you, do you, did you race a lot of motocross or road racing? And did that help you when you race the TTs? Um, I pretty much grew up racing both flat track and hair scrambles. So pretty much being on a motorcycle, I felt like I had a lot of confidence on TTs with right handers and jumps because in the off-road world, that's pretty much what you do the entire time. So I know a lot of kids growing up that stick to only flat track don't get the opportunity to use a lot of front brakes or a lot of right turns. So for me, it's just kind of second nature where I can pretty much get on any bike and any track and just kind of figure out how to go fast. Okay. I like it. And the second part of her question is what sports did you play in school? And she said, hopefully he says basketball. <laughs> uh, no, I definitely did not play basketball. I can't really, can't really jump that high, but, uh, I definitely swam. Um, that was one big thing for me when I went to turn professional was I needed to get in shape. And the number one thing I thought about doing, which was the least amount of impact on my body was to swim. And I joined my school swim team when I was ninth grade. And by the time I graduated, I had two school records, made the states, and uh, became a pretty good swimmer. So uh, I, I kind of enjoyed doing it. And, and now I try to incorporate that into my training where I try and bicycle and swim rather than run so I don't have all the impact on my, my knees and my back. Wow. That's very cool. Very cool. So we wrap up the episode with some rapid fire questions. So tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you these questions. Are you ready? Okay. Go. What's your, what's your favorite bike you've ever ridden? My 450 frame I currently have. Okay. What's your favorite racetrack? That would be square deal riders in uh, New York. Okay. Who's your, who's your favorite flat tracker of all time? Mikey Rush. Oh, and I like I that. Some, one of my sponsors, I think, finally told him that about a year or two ago, that uh, he was my hero growing up and pretty much one of the reasons why I ran number 54 as an amateur. Uh, that's really cool. I like that. I didn't know that. Um, who's your favorite person to go bench racing with? And Sammy Zabidra. I finally yep. met him for the first time last year, <laughs> and he is one of my favorite humans at the racetrack. He's so cool. He's so funny, man. I love I love sitting there oh, and just you can talk about anything with him. He knows something about it, no matter what it is. You can bring up a race from the sixties, you can bring up a race from last year, and you can just sit there and, and talk thirty minutes on one little thing. It's so cool. Um, oh yeah, I love it. And I love listening yeah. to all the stories. Right on. So what's the what's the favorite thing that you've ever heard from a race fan? Um Probably about two years ago in 2018, someone told me that I didn't look that big on a motorcycle, but I looked pretty huge off of it. So for me, that was a compliment that I don't look that big on a motorcycle. 
Yeah, yeah. So are you are you six two or six three? Because we've had this debate before, and and I think you're a little bit taller than me, but uh, I I don't know. Six three, but if you get out a measuring tape, it's like six two and seven eighths. Okay. So I, I, still I like count that eighth as being six two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like it. So when you're heading to the racetrack, you have to bring your what? What do you have to have? My driver. My is that, is, that, is that your girlfriend? Drive to a lot of them. Yeah. Pretty much yeah. anytime she comes to the races, she's the one driving. All right. Who is the next first time champion in the Super Twins class? Oh, that's a hard one. Um in the Super Twins or in the singles? Super Twins. Super Twins. Um, definitely a hard one. I think Bronson Bauman has a good chance because he's on a really good team. And uh, I also think Brandon Robinson has a really good chance as well because a lot of the tracks coming up suit his style. So uh, I don't know if it, it'll happen this year, but I think in the next year or two, one of those two will be the next champion. I'm, I'm going to throw this one in here, too. Do you like the double headers? I mean, I, I, I meant to ask you that earlier. Do you like these double header weekends? Honestly, I do not. I think for me this year, it helps out a lot for me to get more comfortable on the Indians. But if I were to be racing a single right now, I would definitely not like it because I feel like it takes away a lot of the basically skills of the riders where when you show up to a track, you race it and you move on where I feel like a lot of the riders that basically don't do well the first day, get a chance to do well the second day. And it takes away from the riders that do well the first day where they have to almost work twice as hard to do better the next day, where if they were to go to a different track, they can almost excel more. So, and the other thing I don't like is, is I have to take off more days of work. So that means less money that's coming in to my household. So kind of, I like that. I like that. It's a different perspective yeah. to hear that for sure. Yeah. And last, last but not least, we kind of borrow this one from Dave to Spain. What are you most proud yeah. of, Dan? I'm most proud of being a champion. I know a lot of riders um, grow up and want to be a champion, and to have the opportunity to be one, it definitely is special to me and to special to everybody that helps me out to uh, to race motorcycles and get to this point in my life. Awesome. And last but not least, you want to say thanks to anybody? Um, I would definitely like to say thanks to Jerry Stenchfield of Rooster Distance of Dallas, Texas, for uh, giving me the opportunity this year to race his Indians and uh, be a part of his team. I would also like to thank Nick Henderson for coming on board and being my mechanic, my girlfriend Connor for slaving away all week and uh, driving to the races with me, uh, a good friend of mine from Texas that uh, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without, Mike Vinson. He, uh, he came up to me in 2018, actually came up to Connor and introduced himself. And since then, he's grown from not only a sponsor, but a really good friend. And uh, I really wouldn't be here without him. I also have a lot of personal sponsors back home, one being um, Richard Ford, Steve Dance, Rod Lake, um, my good friend Duff, and uh, a lot of other sponsors coming on Um a lot of small sponsors like Piper Air and different ones like that that uh, give me the opportunity to race and help me out getting to the track and helping out my mechanic Nick and girlfriend Connor as well get to the racetrack. 
Well, that's awesome, man. We, we definitely appreciate the time. We've been trying to have you on for a long time. And uh, I want to say thanks to your team manager, Connor, for setting this up for us. And uh, good luck the rest of the 2020 season. And we'll see you in Dallas in, in about uh, about a week or so. Yeah, and I, I do apologize for not being on here sooner. I'm not much of a phone person talking on the phone or being interviewed. So uh, I definitely tried dodging it as much as I can. But finally, Connor, she sat me down and told me I had to talk on the phone. So I uh, I wouldn't be on here without her. And uh, I do apologize to you for not getting on here sooner. No, it's all good. It's definitely worth the wait. And, uh, you know, Connor made it happen. And we, we appreciate it you sharing your story with us, man. It, it, I learned a lot, and, uh, and uh, like I said earlier, I wish you well in the rest of 2020 and what, whatever's in front of us. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you in Texas. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. See ya. We got him, man, Dan Bromley. Thanks to Connor, his yes. girlfriend, for setting all that up. Shout out to Connor. Uh, and I, I, dude, as being somebody who also hates being interviewed or like in, in the spotlight, I, I completely understand what he's saying. But it is super cool to hear a little bit more and get to a little bit more backstory on, on Dan Bromley. Um, and dude, who knows? He may be uh, finishing top five the rest of the season and a storyline you might want, need to watch for the second half of the year in the, in the Super Twins. He definitely found something at yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah, it probably helped that it's his home track, technically, from being from Pennsylvania. But if he goes good at that track, he should go good at Devil's Bowl. He should go good at Charlotte. Yep. He should go good at Atlanta. And you never know. You know, if, if we finish off the year with a TT, yeah. which we don't know what Daytona is going to be just Who yet. Knows? But, but if we finish off with a TT, he could get up there and, and get on the podium, maybe. Well, guess we'll have to wait and see then. You, what are you doing this off weekend? Well, my mom was supposed to come to town, but uh, unfortunately, my, my stepdad had uh, something, a little illness right now, so he's not coming. So at this point, I don't have any plans at all, which is nice. What are you doing? Um, I am going to Minnesota for uh, Millville. Yeah. Millville. Yeah. Man, I wish that wasn't so far down the road for me. Yeah, but next weekend's a Jacksonville race, so I don't even have to travel. I'm stoked on that. That's nice, isn't it? Yep. Yep. You got what? Four, four more, four more rounds. Four, four more back to back to back. Yeah, and then I'm done. And then I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be it. in Daytona, whatever the hell that ends up being, whether it's a okay. TT, a short track, a half mile, a mile. I think we should go. I think we should go back to Volusia and race the half mile myself. But they didn't put me in charge. Yeah, I think they should just build a build a track on the beach. Let her let her go. That's a long time ago, man. I don't I don't know if I'd be in for that on a twin. So we're, we're off this weekend, and then we've got four weekends in a row. Weekend after that is Bubba Blackwell is jumping his Harley down in uh, Laurel, Mississippi. So I might go down there, do that with Bubba, and then fly to Briar and Shana's wedding. And then the next weekend, they're talking about taking me down to Brazil. So we'll have to see if that works yeah, out. Yeah, what's going on with this Brazil thing, man? And it's a race going on down there. They already got commercials out and everything, and it looks like a whole lot of fun. Carter, have fun in Minnesota this weekend. I'm jealous. You can come. It's you know how far Minnesota is. Not Minneapolis is about 12, 12 and a half hours. We may have to meet up in Kansas City here in a couple weeks, though. I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. The details. I'm down. For that. Yeah. I'm down for that. That's that's only four and a half or five hours away. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll fill the folks in on that here in a little bit. Maybe next week we'll have more details on that. Um, 
Evan's been cranking on this this Harley Davidson doc, man. It's going to be so good. I cannot wait to see this thing. He keeps sending me like stills from his interviews with Parker and like Carr and Carver. Yeah. It's yep. going to be badass, dude. I can't wait to see this how this thing turns out. We need to have him on and kind of talk about what he's uh what he's thinking about doing for this film too. Tease it a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. I like it. All right, I like it. Well, cool, man. Let's uh, call this one a wrap. Another episode one fifty two in the can. Love it. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. I don't have Carter, have fun in Minnesota. I'm going to have fun doing absolutely nothing and uh, get ready for our four-week stretch. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. Peace. Later. correct yes i did i sure did very deep in thought hold on